Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a wide open! Remarkable! Touchdown! Buffalo! Davis again! This is... Uh, it just is impossible! A laser beam! Dawson Knox! Touchdown! Buffalo! Allen gets out of the pocket. We know how dangerous he is with his legs, and there he goes! Josh Allen! It's two builds in a pod with Daniel Hahn and Jordan McGee on Sports War Radio. And with that, welcome back to another episode of Two Builds in a Pod. Jordan McGee, Daniel Hahn here with you. The Buffalo Bills win 35 to 23 over the New England Patriots in the regular season finale. The Bills clinch the number two seed. New England is out of the playoffs. The regular season's come to an end, and now the shift goes into the postseason. It has been quite a week in Buffalo. Uh, Last week was very scary, but wow, have things progressed both on and off the field in numerous different ways. It has been this past last week was rough. This week was a lot better, a lot more joy. I mean, Naheem Hines, we'll talk about him, the game, and previewing the playoffs. But Daniel, how are you? I mean, listen, that was a so much to talk about that game, but that felt like, in an essence, the weight lifted off, at least, you know, initially after this tragedy with Jamar Hamlin, that especially that opening kickoff we'll talk about really just sort of lifted that sort of, I don't know how to call it, like sadness feeling. And we got back into football and the Bills did their thing. And it was quite a celebration on Sunday. How are you doing? Because I know this week I'm doing a lot better. Yeah, I mean, this is a sense of normalcy a little bit. You're still praying for DeMar in terms of you know, he was released from both hospitals. He went back to Buffalo, went to the Buffalo Cardiovascular um, Hospital, and then he was released today as we're recording this. He's actually home-home, um, which is amazing. And there's some reports in terms of they're doing testing on him. Sounds like it wasn't a pre-existing condition. Sounds like the collision is what caused that event to take place. Again, I'm sure there's going to be a battery of tests before, you know, more things happen, but it seems like it's one of those items where he's definitely on the mend to recovery. Um, and the fact that he's home is really, really good sign. So you know that you'll be interacting with Bill's players. Um, my, what a difference a week makes, right? I mean, when we recorded it, we still had a lot of questions in our mind. But as soon as we finished recording, of course, that's when all the news breaks, like it typically does. And in our case, it broke for the better. And, yeah, so while we're going to get back to the normal broadcast for for lack of a better word the normal programming 
on two bills in the pod. Um, it's going to be a, it's still, you know, think about DeMars. The team will still be using him in terms of, you know, motivation and thinking about him and concern. But yeah, I mean, you talk about the game from this past Sunday. Uh, bills are at home, a lot of emotion in the stadium, a lot of pregame items around the entire NFL. We can talk about some of the different things that took place of players trying to show their respect for DeMar, all the donations that came in, the charity stuff. But you talk about this game, it's the power of three. And it, and it kind of is eerie. I don't know. It's spiritual eerie. I don't know what, what level of voodoo you want to say that you think about or karma. But, I mean, three years and three months <laughs> have passed since the Bills last got a kick return for a touchdown. And this game opens with them honoring number three, uh, and it starts with Naeem Hines taking one to the house. Not once, twice. but twice. Um, and it just an amazing start to the game. A lot of emotion, tears on the sidelines. Tom McDermott smiled on the sidelines in a game, which is rare um, for him to do, but just a very, very emotional start. You could tell the stadium was rocking. You could tell that it was kind of a storybook-type feel, but – I mean, we don't talk a lot about the impact that Naeem Hines has had because he really hasn't had a lot yet. And even DeMar Hamlin tweeting during the game, competing with our own Twitter account, <laughs> at 2 Bills in the Pod at Twitter. Um, but competing with our in-game gifting, uh, getting a lot more run than we were. But, you know, free, free Naeem, right? Free Hines. That's the, kind of the hashtag for Naeem. Um, but they use him on the return game. He got a chance to return them until the Patriots said, no, 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 no. We're just going to split the rest of the day. But I think the start of this game, it's the power of three, three touchdowns for Josh Allen, three interceptions for the Bills defense, two kick returns for a touchdown, but the first time the Bills have had a kick return for a touchdown in three years and three months. Um, just a very powerful, powerful game when you look at all the threes around. And, of course, the Bills win putting up 30-plus. I mean – that opening kickoff was so, like, it felt like a cheesy storybook way, but, like, just so incredible how that just, you know, like you said, they had this emotional pregame ceremony for DeMar with all the trainers, right? And then opening kickoff, the place goes absolutely insane. You know, Josh Allen's in disbelief. Everyone is just, like, going absolutely nuts. And it felt very like it felt very healing in that moment of just like you know the first play since the DeMar Hamlin injury and it goes to the house in Bill's Mafia they're ready to celebrate you know it was so cool to see and it just that like that play that moment alone is just kind of like reminds you why you love sports of like these kind of almost impossible like storylines that can happen that they do and that's going to be forever remembered you know that that kickoff Naeem Hines that is going to be kind of etched in my brain as one of those special plays uh in Bill's you know lore I would say put it up with the uh that 2017 with uh, the Bengals scoring that touchdown to get the Bills in the playoff it's gonna be right up there for me um but Naeem Hines first and foremost you know, we knew the ability of what he could do. And then two kick returns. Special teams was the name of the game. Like, it, you know, the one time happening was already magical. And then he does it a second time. You know, unbelievable. Obviously, the most obvious AFC special teams player of the week award. I think that there could be. Um, he's dangerous. And, you know, 
is he going to return kick returns again for touchdowns? I maybe, probably not. Um, but is the, he get a chance to? Yeah, because I don't. I think teams are going to be like, uh, we're not going to kick it to him. Um, but the fact that he has that ability in the special teams again, you talk about that. That's a fourteen point swing in the favor of Buffalo on two quick plays like that. So. Naheem Hines, you know, we've been kind of clamoring for him in terms of where is he? Where is he? Well, he kind of made his presence known at least this week. And, uh, you know, again, when special teams gets underrated a lot in terms of the field goal, punting and kick return. But it was very well on display. And uh, I think teams in the playoffs are going to be a little bit wiser to probably not want to kick to Naheem Hines. So it, it was incredible to see, though. Yeah, and you look at the special teams unit, kind of an, an under, undersung hero or unsung hero of this team this season. They haven't had a lot of games where the special teams have been kind of the, the fault, right? And again, we always reference that first year doing the podcast where they were just horrible and cost them games. But you're able to flip the field quite a bit. The return game has been kind of up and down because of the amount of different bodies they've had there, whether it be Hyde, Crowder, Shakir, Cook. And now you get Naeem Hines, who's definitely a steady and more solid hand. You can see what he can do. He's just electric when he gets out in open space. Um, the free Hines thing is more about maybe putting him on offense, putting him a threat, kind of like what they've been doing lately with James Cook. But I really like the development they've had with James Cook, the time it takes for him to, to unlock a lot of that utility knife features that we saw coming out of college that we were excited about him adding to the offense. And you're seeing it progress week after week after week. When James Cook is in the game, everyone needs to learn where he is because he can run you over in terms of being just a straight running back. But they also have been starting to split him out wide a lot more. And that's, I bring it up not just a sidebar on James Cook and how much I'm enjoying his progression this year, but that's really the same exact skill set that Naeem Hines has. He's just starting with his team, you know, midway through the season because he came over the trade deadline. So will they utilize them maybe in that, you know, playoffs on offense a little bit differently? I definitely would expect that. There's definitely the case that they're hiding a couple things for the playoffs, especially when you think of they're facing the Dolphins again for the third time. You look at down the road, if you wanted to, you're probably going to run to the Bengals. You're probably going to run to the Chiefs. And those are teams they would have already faced multiple times this year. You can't just throw out every single thing you have in the regular season. You've got to save some stuff. So I do expect to see a little wrinkles here and there that Ken Dorsey is going to unleash, and maybe Hines is one of those wrinkles. And because you see what he can do on kickoff, it's exciting to think of the opportunities that he might get when he gets a screen pass or a draw play or whatever they want to do with him. It's going to be a little bit unique, and I'm excited for that. But speaking of the power three, Jordan, there's, there's, a couple, there's one other thing I want to get to before I forget. There's also an announcer's curse power of three that happened in this game. I don't know if you were listening with sound on. Um, if you're watching from home, but I counted. I got three announcers jinxes with the uh, Jim Nance, Tony Romo crew in this game. Uh, one of them was in the Bills' favor. Two were not. The first one, they talked about Josh Allen has not thrown an interception against the Patriots in X amount of throws. And lo and behold, what do we have from Josh Allen? Another red zone interception. Um, that was pretty detrimental at the time, but it's okay. It's okay. That was one jinx, right? Second jinx fourth quarter there's been no penalties in this game the whole time we made it the whole way then the bills proceed to just unleash penalties right uh oopsie but then the one that went in the bills favor and maybe one of the throws of the year second half you know 
Stephon Diggs has been pretty quiet. hasn't had a catch the whole second half. He was active in the first half. We'll see if they can get him going. That very same play is when Josh Allen rolls to his right and then throws a dart across the field to Stephon Diggs for a deep, 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 deep 49-yard touchdown um, that really broke the game open at that point. Uh, so three also announcers drinks. I don't want to get in there too, but Josh Allen, he's going to win the AFC Air Player of the Week this week as well because he had three touchdowns, 254 yards. They didn't use him a ton in the running game, but um, you have to like the way this passing game is starting to take off. Yes, the turnover in the red zone is still problematic, but you're seeing him spread the ball out to a lot of different people. John Brown got involved in the game, gave his touchdown ball uh, to the trainer that provides CPR for the Bills. Um, I really like the way this offense is progressing. I know we'll talk a little bit about Ken Dorsey here in a little bit too. Um, but if you're going to knock the Bills a little bit for putting 35 points up on the board, um, 21 of them on offense, two of them on special teams, I thought this game for the Bills was a very well-done offensive game. Yes, they had to punt, but they were still moving the ball fairly at ease at times. They were able to run the ball when they needed to run the ball. And I just overall, I feel like there's been progression in this offense. It may not be perfect. It may not be, you know, full throttle, but they're getting the ball to a lot of different players. And I think this offense heading into the playoffs is moving in the right direction. I thought the offense was fine. You know, I think, you know, a couple things, right? That red zone interception by Josh Allen. Again, it's kind of a, you know, wasn't great at the time. It's a bit of a trend that you don't love to see happening. Um, But they were able to make it happen and they made plays. Josh Allen did, you know, Josh Allen things. You know, that, that, that throw to Stephon Diggs was just absolutely perfect right on the dime, like, off his back foot, just unreal. Um, you know, the offense did enough to, you know, move the ball down the field. I thought the running backs, you know, Singletary had some nice plays. I think uh, James Cook, you know, had a couple of one or two sort of big runs. So, you know, those two are kind of, you know, doing all right, or at least, you know, trending in a better direction. Um, you know, I, I don't think there was a lot. I, I will say probably the only thing about this offense, and we'll talk about it, and it's probably going to be a theme in the offseason too as well, the offensive line, is I get that Matthew Judon and company, right, the, the Patriots defense is pretty stout, but there were a lot of times where pressure was coming, the Patriots would dial it up, and they got to Josh Allen a couple times, and listen, that's just, it's going to happen, you know, right? You can't stop every sack. However, the offensive line does have me... Not panicking, but more kind of eh, a little concerned. Nothing where I'm like worried, but enough where I'm like, eh, I don't feel comfortable, um, you know, with how the offensive line is. But it is what it is. You can't, you know, we're going into this with the playoffs. So I thought the offense did fine for the most part, Um, you know, they made the plays when they needed to. Josh Allen's Von Diggs, you know, it happened. The connections were made. Gabe Davis made a couple of catches. You know, the offense did what it needed to do. Um, and you feel pretty good. I know, like, the threshold of, like, oh, Josh Allen threw for three touchdowns and had a pretty solid game. But this is more of just, like, here's what I'm seeing. This has got to kind of – stuff that's got to be really kind of cleaned up as we go into the postseason because – when you can get away with mistakes against the Patriots, 
you may not get that same way with, you know, the Dolphins or the Bengals or the Chiefs. It's, you know, the margin of error gets slimmer and slimmer when you go deeper into the postseason. It certainly does. And the turnovers are a concern, in particular the red zone turnovers. I mean, even if you're not going to get a touchdown, Tyler Bass is, is pretty darn close to automatic. I mean, he misses some, right? He has his, he has his moments, but you can't leave points on the board in the red zone. You can't try to force for a touchdown when you have three, especially against a team like New England. And we'll talk about the Dolphins this week. A team like probably is not offensively up to your standards and just get your points and get out of there. You know, don't give them zero and give and help them out when you should be putting points on the board. And, you know, the fumbles were another thing between Singletary and, and Taiwan Jones had one as well. There's little things that you can look at. I think offensively there's things to clean up, right? They're not a fully functional unit in the way that we expect them to be, which is promising, but also it's like you said, the margin of error shrinks quite a bit. The defenses get harder. The, the Patriots are a really good sacking team, but they have some flaws and now you got to face a harder defense every step of the way. Um, defensively for the Bills, I'll describe this game as opportunistic because <laughs> they got the three interceptions. They definitely iced the game using those interceptions. Tredavious White had a big red zone interception. Looked great. I mean, that was that's his first interception, I believe, since his return. And that that kind of that feels good to say, right? Tredavious White interception, big moment. That feels right. He's not 100 percent back. You can tell he's still. I don't think his speed is down. It just feels like he feel he looks a little rusty, whether that be his recognition of things or just confidence, whatever it is. He's just not quite Tredavious, which is fine, right? He's still better than the alternatives, and he's getting better week after week. Um, but then you have Edmonds and Milano with interceptions, and, and those were off deflections. But, Jordan, while there were some good things, there were it's always fun seeing Mac Jones get sacked by anyone or Gregory Rousseau in particular to start the game off. Um, the defense wasn't great. And no. I would say the reason the Bills put 35 points up is because the defense kind of made them keep throwing because they just couldn't get off the field. They couldn't really slow down New England, which is bad. Um, Mac Jones looked like a quarter NFL quarterback that could do some things. And I, I don't know if I should be saying that as in like, yep, there's their franchise quarterback, but he certainly looked capable against the Bills defense, right? A defense that has done some things against them. Uh, Devontae Parker had some moments where he looked like the Bills looked like they were trying to cover Justin Jefferson, but it's Devontae Parker and Kendrick Bourne. Um, I'll say the pass defense I'm very concerned about. The big plays are still a thing. There's too many 20-plus yard plays from New England, and it's only going to increase throughout the playoffs. This isn't the most skilled player offense that they're going to face ever, but the Patriots were able to get big plays still against this defense. So um, we'll talk about the reinforcements potentially coming, but I think my biggest concern heading the playoffs is the secondary in particular because – whether that's the absence of Von Miller getting pressure on the quarterback, the Bills' pass defense is really struggling the last couple of weeks. They struggled in this game as well, and they're facing teams now moving forward. When you look at the AFC, other than Baltimore, these aren't running teams. These are teams that want to throw on you. They want to push the envelope. They want to use their franchise quarterbacks and touch your secondary. So that's something that the Bills are really going to have to work on ways to clean up or, or hide better. Yeah, Mac Jones carved up the Bills secondary and it was really Frank that was really concerning to see um you know I get that they were thin at safety but also 
Mac Jones should not be throwing 300 plus yards against you and throwing for multiple touchdowns. It was uh, really concerning to see how open these uh, Patriots receivers were and almost like the, the Bills are playing with this soft coverage. Um, just a lot of miscommunication, a lot of bad reads, a uh, lot of open space for the Patriots receivers. And that was, um, that's not good. Uh, you know, because you cannot get away with that in the postseason. You really cannot. Um, and thankfully, it didn't cost them the game. But, oh boy, you know, like, I get Trey White is playing better. He got that interception, right? And that's great. Um, it, the, the secondary has me concerned going into the postseason. I'm not going to lie. Now, we'll talk about some bright news where things could get better you know, here shortly in terms of Bill's updates. Um, but that secondary has been a rotating cast of characters all season long. I know guys have been in and out. You know, some guys are starting to get healthy, which is good um, at the right time. But ugh, it was not good to see against Mac Jones. And you're not going to get that lucky um, against other quarterbacks in this playoff. So that is a massive point to be uh, worked on. Um, but listen, the defense took the opportunities that they gave them, you know, even though despite the game carved up for that many yards, they got the interceptions, they got turnovers, timely turnovers when needed, and the offense took care of it from there. So, you know, listen, it, they, it, it's good and bad, you know, they got carved up, which is bad, but they were able to take away multiple turnovers and give their offense a couple opportunities to score off those turnovers, which, you know, at the end of the day, that's all you can really ask for in terms of like the big takeaways from your defense, but uh, they can be a lot better and they should frankly be a lot better, especially against a Patriots offense that frankly is not something that should be prolific as it was on Sunday. Yeah. And Mac Jones having a high completion percentage, that's not uncommon, right? But these weren't the typical check downs where he's yelling and throwing the tablet. They were actually throwing the ball downfield at various times. They were moving forward with their passing game. Maybe the Patriots, and again, the Patriots have come on a little bit better offensively the last couple of weeks. So give them a little bit of credit too. But you, you're looking at, okay, how do we match up again with Miami, with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and the running game they have there. It's a different level of skill player than what the Patriots were throwing together. And like you said, there was miscommunication on defense, guys running wide open, a lot of separation between their wide receivers and, and pretty easy throws for Mac Jones downfield, which it should not happen. Uh, the Bills defensive line is still getting pressure. They just haven't gotten home in terms of the sack count, but they definitely have had their moments where they've definitely collapsed the pocket. And I thought they did a good job again, kind of keeping the Patriots running game in check. You know, you don't like to see a nine yard per carry average for Mondre Stevenson, but you know, they ran the ball a lot with Damian Harris, and he didn't do much. And Mac Jones scrambled a little bit and didn't do much. So the Bills' run defense was stout, but the Bills' secondary needs to clean it up. So, Jordan, the other piece of this game, it's hard to gauge how much you want to take away because you can't deny the fact that there were a lot of emotions for the Bills' players in the days after they got back from Cincinnati. Does it impact their preparation? Did they take the Patriots lightly? All those questions, you know, maybe only the Bills know. They'll never say that they did or anything like that, but – they did what needed to be done. They used that emotion. They, they got a win. They, they put everyone happy. They eliminated the Patriots for the second straight year, which feels real good to say. Mm -hmm. And they move on in the playoffs with some home field advantage, and they don't have to go on the road as far as they want to go because the, the neutral site game with Kansas City should have get that far. So, Jordan, 
I don't want to dive too deep in the Patriots game. I do want to talk about the Dolphins. So we'll close the chapter on the Patriots here in a little bit when we go around the AFCs. But from this game, the results of all the madness that happened Sunday with playoff seating means the Bills, they get the Miami Dolphins next. And we do have a little bit of news for Miami. But before we get to them, let's talk about the injury front that we hinted on. So first injury note, I'll remind everyone, DeMar Hamlin is home-home, which is good. Because we talked a lot about the issues last week and kind of our perspective from where we were with DeMar Hamlin last week, we didn't talk about the fact that the Bills activated Christian Benford for his practicing schedule. So he opened his 21-day window midway through last week. That's a reinforcement because Benford has definitely flashed at various points this year, but he's still a rookie. So you want to give him some, you know, he's not going to be the answer to all of life's problems in the secondary. You're still going to rely mostly on Elam and Jackson. But also opening the window today as we're recording this, wide receiver and kick returner Jameson Crowder is back practicing. His 21-day window open, and so is safety Micah Hyde. And that is the massive piece of good news because um, if they can win enough games to get Micah Hyde back on the field at some point, you're talking about the best safety duo in the NFL, in my opinion, selfishly, over the past like four or five years. And Poyer and Hyde, also the namesake for my fantasy team. But they, you're adding Micah Hyde to this defense is a game changer and something that, yes, he would be rusty. Yes, teams would try to exploit him, but you can't deny that he's probably a, an upgrade over Dean Marlowe right away. Maybe he's on a snap count, but that's definitely a, a, a big boost in many ways if he can get on the field at any point. Um, but, but I don't think either Crowder or Hyde play against Miami. I also, spoiler, don't think there's a need, but you might see Christian Benford back on the field this week. And also of note, of the, of the injuries, only Spencer Brown was injured against New England. He came back in the game. So everyone seems like the Bills are actually on the right side of the injury report right now. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts on, on Benford, Hyde, and James and Crowder coming off in their practice windows? Going? I mean, so Benford is huge to me because, again, it's that depth in that secondary at the corner position that they frankly really need. But also, too, as well, when I look at it as well, I mean, I, the fact that Micah Hyde could be playing is beyond me because, you know, season-ending injury, you say, oh, okay, well, that's the season, uh, so be it. Um, but the fact that there is a chance that you're telling me that Micah Hyde could be back in the postseason now, again, Sean McDermott said, listen, he's not going to be playing against Miami, which kind of we're like, yeah, understandable. But the fact that he's even practicing alone is kind of insane to me. So, listen, it's all good news. If he can come back and I don't know when it's still kind of a stretch in terms of when that timeline could be. But the fact that he even has the possibility to come back is incredible. And then Jamison Crowder, you know, he wasn't really used a lot when he was healthy anyways to begin with. But I, I like the fact that he's, again, available, depth, just guys getting healthy at, frankly, the right time. You know, especially as you're just now going into the postseason. It's a really encouraging sign to see. And you're not going to stay healthy the entire postseason. I mean, we've seen John Brown, Cole Beasley sprinkled in. You've seen Khalil Shakir's usage increase week to week. Uh, you got Naeem Hines as the primary returner right now. But having those guys on the men getting better, I mean, you know, I don't want anyone to get injured on either side of the ball. But if it happens, it's, it's not going to be a shock. And like you said, there's depth, there's reinforcements. I don't think James and Crowder comes in and 
And I think he's the least impactful of the three that you might see because he'd have to find his way in an offense that, that's kind of on its way up and out. I don't think he'd bench Khalil Shakir at this point to get Jameson Crowder back on the field is where I'm at right now with him. But, yeah, I think you have to wait and see. I don't know if it, it won't be this week. It may not be next week. It may not be, you know, got to see how far you get. But the fact is, I feel like Micah Hyatt at some point will factor in this playoff picture if the Bills can do their work this Sunday and, and get a win. That takes us to this Sunday, and that's the Miami Dolphins. They're a, you know, a known opponent. The Bills are one-on-one against them this year, most notably beating them just a couple weeks ago by three points in Orchard Park. Um, Deion Dawkins had a nice little quote. He basically said, you know, this is like, you know, the third date, and you want to take the date home with you at the end of the night, and they are playing at home. Uh, so thank you, Deion Dawkins, for that nice uh, analogy to get us ready. Um, but we do have news out of Miami. Two bits of information, injury news. Tua Tagovailoa dealing with a concussion from two weeks ago. He will not be playing. He has been ruled out. Mike McDaniel is named Skyler Thompson. The Week 18 starter, the starter for the Miami Dolphins. Um, spoiler, the spread jumped up in the Bills' favor after this news was made. Um, also, an injury to watch is Raheem Mostert, the Dolphins running back, who notably got over 100 yards in the first quarter last time these two teams faced each other in Orchard Park. He's got a broken thumb, and we're still waiting if he's going to be in or out officially, but it seems like it's a possibility he's doubtful. Um, but a broken thumb means he might have fumbleitis, and a couple other things like that you want to watch if you're a Miami fan. Jordan, it's a weird game because, yes, one-on-one, both teams have won at home. You should be more nervous about Miami than maybe I am right now because of the quarterback's problem, right? Tua on this team, I think he's proven when he's on the field that this offense can be pretty electric. He clearly can get the ball where he needs to in the right spot. Skyler Thompson is just coming in a tough situation. He's got some weapons there with both Hill and Waddle, but other than them breaking a big play, I have a hard time seeing how he's going to consistently move the ball down the field enough times to outscore the Bills offense, which will struggle at times against this Miami defense. It's pretty decent, but the Bills probably will get to that 20-point barrier, if not a little over, can Skylar Thompson do it in a playoff game on the road? I just don't see it based on what he's shown me this year thus far. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be mean about this. Um, listen, if Tua was playing, the Miami would absolutely have a shot. I would even say if Teddy Bridgewater was playing. But Skylar Thompson on the road in January in Buffalo, there's I, I do not see how he would outscore Buffalo. Because, let's be honest, to me, if Buffalo loses this game, it's because everything that could go wrong did go wrong. You know what I mean? Like Buffalo would have to do so many and things. And by the way, everything, everything would have to go wrong like three times. Right. Like everything would have to go wrong for Buffalo and then some for Miami to pull away with this one. Okay? It would be a kind of a real just lack of cohesion by Buffalo to lose this game. Um, listen, the defense will keep them in it early and on enough, but after some point in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter, the defense is going to get tired and it's just, it's not going to be able to let up. And especially if Raheem Mostert isn't in there, right? It, Cause he's questionable for this game with a thumb injury. If he's hurt and then he's not playing, I mean, 
you, I mean, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are not playing quarterback. You know, like their threats absolutely. If Skylar Thompson can get them the ball, and that's kind of the big question. If he can, and how many times can he do it? That can get Miami in the end zone. It's already been a struggle for Miami to be on the road in a hostile environment in Buffalo. You know, crowd's going to be amped. It's going to be a sellout crowd. You know, there's, I really don't see this happening. I mean, again, never say never. You know, I don't want to discount Miami entirely as a team, um, but they've been on a massive losing streak as of late. You know, they've been really, really struggling. They kind of, ass back their way into the playoffs and they only got into the playoffs on a game that they won nine to six against the Jets barely you know putting it together so they really got into the playoffs by the hairs on their chitty chin chin and again this game would have to be Buffalo it wouldn't be so much Miami out doing Buffalo but Buffalo just doing everything wrong you know that's how Buffalo would lose this game and I just the margin of error uh, for Miami is so small in this game um, that even just one turnover or one, you know, uh, you know, one bad play, just that will sink them. So, you know, the spread is pretty big. You know, I don't want to just say, oh, chalk it up as a win because it's the playoffs and you don't want to underestimate your opponent. But uh, Miami is they're going to have to play incredible. Skylar Thompson's going to have to play the game of his life and then some if Miami is going to somehow pull this off. Yeah, I mean, they, I'm not saying they don't stand a shot. You play the game for a reason, right? But it's a, it's a very tough margin for the Dolphins to overcome because, you know, what's the keys to the game? For the Bills, get out early force Skylar Thompson to go away from the running game, force Mike McDaniel to avoid running the ball. If they can keep the game tight for even just a few quarters, they want to run the ball and keep the Bills' offense off the field, shrink that game with the time of possession, frustrate the Bills offensively enough to maybe make it, you know, closer kind of, you know, as you call it, a Big Ten game, right? A Big Ten football game where you're just kind of chugging away. Um, But ideally – yeah, maybe Naeem Hines gets a pick return for a touchdown to start off the game and you go up seven. But you want to get ahead early and force Miami out of what it wants to do. They want to play the screen game with Skylar Thompson. They're going to want to run the ball to zone D schemes. And I think the Dolphins defensively, can they can frustrate the Bills. They still have Bradley Chubb. They still have some pretty good defensive backs. Um, they're in a weird spot because they're not playing their best football at the right time. They're playing their worst football at the absolute worst time. And like you said, they, they backed into the playoffs. They shouldn't be facing the Bills in round one. They should be much further up. They should be in that Jaguars-Chargers realm, right? But they, they are here, and they don't have Tua Tagovailoa. So what do they do? They turn to Skylar Thompson, who, you know, you shortchange him. You said he put up nine points against the Jets. He got to 11. He hit double digits. You know, he's, you know, on this last minute safety. Hey, 11's 11, buddy. They got double digits. It counts. Um, Maybe someone in Vegas had bets on that. It's important. Um, But I will say the concern here is still, like you said, can he get the ball to Hill and Waddle consistently? And where does he get it? Is he relying on the screen game to get them engaged? If he does that, I think the Bills can bottle up those guys. But if you're able to, to kind of get them downfield, get them in slant routes, get them in one-on-one, try to confuse the Bills' safeties, of course those guys, and we've seen it with Waddle especially, 
they can score from anywhere on the field. It doesn't need to be that complex. It doesn't even build to play great defense, but one play can be an 80 yarder with this, these playmakers, but can they give up, you know, 40 plus touchdowns, like three different times. That's what you're asking for Miami to do. And it's a tough ask. So Jordan, if you're Miami, it's kind of a sad ending to what was a pretty promising season, but I think that's the case for most of the AFC East between the Dolphins and Jets. The Patriots kind of ended on a high note, even though they didn't get in. Um, but Miami, I think for them, it, I'm not saying they're looking forward to the offseason. They're going to try to win this game, obviously. They, they get a shot at a team they know very, very well. It's a divisional matchup, so you can't sleep on them. But I don't know if they have the horses to keep up with Buffalo at this stage. I, Buffalo will be at home, very motivated. This is a different Buffalo team that's used to the playoffs. Miami, you know, new territory for them, too. And I think if you're a Miami fan, you don't get to see what Tua does in this situation. You don't get him some playoff exposure, which would have benefited his career. And, of course, the bigger issue is he's one year closer now to that franchise need to make a decision on his long-term future, and he definitely showed progression this year, Jordan. We'll talk about the offseason a lot more. Tua definitely did the things that you wanted to see with him with Mike McDaniel and say, man, He's playing pretty darn well. He's clearly a guy who can carry this offense, but can he stay healthy? And concussions are a scary thing, but I do think Miami's doing the right thing, keeping him off the field, going through the protocol, not running him out there. Um, he's had some violent concussions this year, one of them allegedly not against the Bills, but I think we know it was against the Bills. Um, I just think his long-term health should be the focus. And I think Miami, while it stinks for them to not have him in, the, in this game, they're making the right long-term choice, not just for them, but for Tua's future. So, Jordan, we can elaborate more on that, or I can tell you the spread 13.5 in favor of the Bills. Who you got? Ooh, it's a big spread. I'm taking Buffalo with the spread. Um, it is a almost two-score uh, spread, which is oof, but given the situation and given the injuries to Miami, I'm taking Buffalo uh, with the spread. Uh, you know, Miami is making progress for sure. Tua is their future. And one playoff game is not enough to risk your future. And I think Mike McDaniels and company realize that, that they have a team that is capable to going all the way, but they are not going to risk their long-term future for one playoff game. And I think that is how Dolphins fans should be looking at this. I know they're disappointed. I know they're not looking forward to this playoff game necessarily, given the fact that Skylar Thompson starting at quarterback. Um, but you have to think long-term for the future. And I, I'm taking Buffalo with the win. I think, to me, you still have the energy from DeMar Hamlin. They're going to use that as their energy all the way through the rest of this postseason and the, re- and the rest of this season. Um, it's just going to be too many obstacles for Miami to overcome. Um you know, I, I think the Bills will be able to walk away with this as a win. You know, Miami will make plays. Miami will, you know, uh, you know, put up a fight. Don't you're not going to just kind of sit down and get rolled over. Um, but at the end of the day, the Bills are going to pull away and do what they need to do uh, to win this game. I agree. I I don't like taking the Bills with that big of a spread, but I will because I do think the Bills are, are going to flip the switch here. They've done it multiple times. You saw what they did last year to the Patriots. I don't think it's going to be a perfect game, but they're definitely going to flip the script, a switch here in terms of energy and preparation because 
this is what this team is built for. This is what the team planned to do throughout the season. This is where they want to be at home in the playoffs, and they got a chance to do it against a division opponent that they know very well that's, that's on the ropes. I mean, if Miami wins this game, you let them. There's no Miami did this amazing thing, Skyler Thompson's the quarterback. No, 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 no. Bills, key to the game, don't have three-plus turnovers. Don't give up three-plus 50-yard plays. Don't lose the penalties. That Those three things in combination – have to happen for the Bills to lose this one. And because of that, I think the Bills are going to run away with this one because they need to. They need to get up at half. They need to put Case Keenum in the game. They need to get a big enough lead that their defense can get some confidence heading into the next week, which is going to be challenging. And it only gets harder and harder as we go. Skylar Thompson gives them a little bit of a break. Like you said, if Tua was playing, I'd be pretty concerned about this game in a different respect. I would have taken the the Bills not to cover the nine and a half points that they were getting early on, but he's not. And even if Teddy Bridgewater plays, you're a little more concerned, but Teddy Bridgewater is also a guy that, you know, he's a short, he's kind of a short game quarterback. Um, and as long as, you know, you don't let them get big, big, big plays or big gains off of those short passes and make him work the ball, you know, 13 plays down the field, then I think you can you can still win with your offense getting, you know, over 20 plus points. Um, so Jordan, that's that game. We feel good about it. Sunday, one o'clock, Jim Nance, Tony Romo will be on the call for CBS. They are out there to once again, throw all the announcers curses that they possibly can, but that energy in that game is going to be rocking. And I am very, very excited. I really can't wait for Sunday. I'm, I'm very antsy and I'm ready to go. But before we get there, let's go. Let's wrap this podcast up and go around the AFCs. We're going to do a ton of time for the offseason, Jordan. We have, as we in the uh, podcast business call it, filler weeks uh, in February through May, where it's like, yeah, let's talk about some things. So we won't get too deep here, so I don't want to, but a couple things for around the AFCs. New England first, they finish 8-9. They're out of the postseason. They are under 500 for the second time since, uh, what's his name, left their quarterback room. <laughs> Uh, but Bill Belichick has announced he is returning. Jordan, quickly, biggest offseason question for the Patriots as they start their offseason. Um, I guess two. One, um, should Bill Belichick still be the head coach of the New England Patriots? And two, are they going to make a move to get a wide receiver? They have been lacking it. Are they going to make any sort of splashy moves to help their offense? Uh been saying it for a couple off seasons now. Will it happen? We'll have to wait to see. Yeah, I'm going to go a different route here. I, I don't. I think Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft are almost tied to the hip, and one's basically unfireable. But I will say this: while some people may wonder if Mac Jones is the guy, and I definitely do, I don't think he's on the move this year just because Jimmy Garoppolo is out there and a few other quarterbacks that might be interesting to New England. Don't sleep on it, but I don't think they're going to make a move there. My biggest offseason question for them is, are they going to get an offensive coordinator? Are they really going to do this Matt Patricia, Joe Judge thing again? They definitely made improvements in the second half, but there's some names out there that are actual offensive coordinators, and you can just get them and not have to go through the Matt Patricia experiment again if you're New England, which would probably resolve a lot of the Mac Jones issues throughout the year. Next up are the Jets. They finished 7-10 and 10. again. Started the year much better than they finished. Injuries kind of riddled them at quarterback. Joe Flacco, eh, maybe not be elite anymore. But speaking of elite, Zach Wilson, quarterback, says he'll make it hell 
for any quarterback trying to take his spot next year. Um, okay. But what's the biggest <laughs> offseason question for the Jets? Um, who do they go after at quarterback? Because uh, Zach Wilson's not going to be in New York. Uh, that's really cute, buddy. I'll give him hell. Yeah, you can't give hell to a team that you're not going to be on. Um, my guy, I guess my question is, do they go after Lamar Jackson? He's a free agent. This is the time if the Jets are going to make a move for a quarterback, this would be the year. So my biggest question is, do they go after Lamar Jackson and how much money are they willing to throw his way to come to New York? I'm going a different route. I, I do think the biggest question for them is quarterback. I'm most excited to see what they do in the draft. I thought they had a phenomenal draft last year, and I'm excited to see if they can kind of, you know, do they follow it up? Do they have a stink bomb, or do they kind of build on those uh, that depth that they got in the draft this past year? I, I am curious who starts a quarterback for them. Zach Wilson, you can't go in there with just him. You're going to bring a veteran in. They said as much in their offseason press conference. I... I'm here for comedy here. Will they get Aaron Rodgers making Aaron Rodgers follow the Brett Favre plan? That's where I'm at at this point. And he's also a creepy enough dude. He could really follow the Brett Favre plan in New York if he really wanted to. Um, I'm curious about Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. I, I think the Jets have the money and they have that New York cachet that they'll just throw it out there randomly. Um, so, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I think I'm biggest curiosity is the quarterback decision for them. And also don't sleep in their offensive coordinator position, which is also kind of under curiosity, too. Next up, Jordan, let's go around the NFL to wrap this bad boy up and get us closer to the playoffs. J.J. Watt has retired as the Arizona Cardinals. He had a two-sack game, I believe, to finish his Arizona career. Um, Definitely, you and I would agree, Bills dodged a bullet there potentially with with missing out on him and instead landed upon Miller and Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham. Um, But... J.J. Watt, he's retiring. Hall of Famer, yes or no? I would say so. Um, is he first ballot? No, but I think he is Hall of Fame worthy. I'd have to look at the stats again in terms of where he ranks. Um, but he feels like he maybe on a couple tries will get in. Um, I feel like he has a Hall of Fame sort of resume. Again, I'd have to look at the numbers, but you know, just from how much he's impacted the game, I think he is, you know, warned to the conversation to be in there. He was defensive player of the year at least once, and he was Walter Payton man of the year, I think twice. So, you know, I think he has the accolades that will get him in there. Like you said, I don't know if it'll be first ballot, but definitely those two pieces alone probably will get him in there eventually. And he's also likable. Don't sleep on that, too. I mean, likable people tend to get in quicker than others. Uh, Next up, Black Monday came and gone. Um, I think I'm missing someone here, Jordan, but I know the head of coaching openings or what I'm tracking are Carolina, Denver, Arizona, and Indianapolis. I feel like there's one that I'm way off on that it's out there, but regardless, irregardless. Uh, best and worst head coach openings thus far based on that list. What you got? I feel like that's accurate, but um, I would, ugh, I mean, to be honest, I don't, I, I guess the best you'd have to say is. Arizona for the fact you have Kyler Murray as your quarterback. Um, you know, these jobs are not really great. I would say by far the worst one is Denver because Houston, Houston, Houston. <laughs> um, I guess I, I'm still going to stand with Arizona being, the, I guess, the best one. I'm going to say Denver is the worst because you do have Russell Wilson. 
Um, and you have players on Denver that, you know, you feel like could be a good team. Um, but Russell Wilson took a big step back and that's going to be a, you know, how can you turn around a veteran quarterback like that? I feel like personalities would clash. Um, you know, I, I just don't think Denver is as good of a job as maybe people would seem to be. So I'll guess reluctantly Arizona the best, but I would say Denver to me is pretty bad. I'll take a different approach only because I feel like both of those teams between Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, you're, you're stuck with them. And I think obviously Kyler Murray has flashed at various times, but he's going to come off a knee injury that he's going to miss some time, maybe even heading into next year. Um, JJ Watts leaving you got Deandre Hopkins. Sounds like they're shopping him as well this off season. Um, I don't like Arizona just because I also Kyler Murray was under fire this year and he did not respond very positively when, when he had the opportunities to, I do agree with you on Denver and Russ Wilson's contract. Uh, I don't know if you can do a lot with it considering even if you like some of the other pieces they have there, the best job for me is Indianapolis. And that's only because I think they still need to figure out what they want to do at quarterback, but they have the fourth pick in the draft and that's CJ Stroud. That's Bryce Young, Will Levis, Whatever your cup of tea is, one or two of those guys is probably going to be there, and maybe all of them if you want to trade up a little bit further. But you look at Indianapolis, and okay, they don't have a lot of skilled players on offense. They have a couple guys on defense, but they played this year with no Shaq Leonard. They'll get him back. Jonathan Taylor is still there. The offensive line is still there, but underwhelmingly played this year. Um, And I don't know what to make of their record because Jeff Saturday was their coach to wrap the year up. So I think – Indianapolis would be the best one. And also, you know, quietly, Indianapolis, they don't fire coaches very often, so you get some more time there than you would, say, uh, Houston, where you're only going to be there one year, right? Uh, so um, I would take Indianapolis just because of the, the draft position, to pick your quarterback, the cap space, and some of the existing pieces. Worst place, um, I think I'm with you on Denver. I don't think you can move Russell Wilson. I don't know if he's the same player. And you're – you know, good luck filling out a roster with a team that does I don't even know if they like the guy. So you're in a real tough spot there. But, hey, people like Jim Harbaugh, more power to you. Go interview over there. It is the job. Next up, I got Houston in late because I completely forgot that this happened, but I can't forget because it's awesome. Lovey Smith, is he a Bears legend or is he extremely spiteful? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Texans had the number one pick in the draft going into they Sunday sure did. against the Colts. They Not only did they go up, but then they started tanking and the Colts got the lead. And it's like, okay, the Texans did what they did. They competed, but they didn't win. Good job. No, they won't. They went Hail Mary, connection. And then he didn't go for the tie. My boy Lovey, he went for two, and he got it. And the Texans win in dramatic fashion, sending the Chicago Bears to the number one pick in the draft. Lovey Smith also did talk to Texans, you know, brass before that game, hoping that he'd have an opportunity to actually stay as head coach, which is weird because he's only been there for a year. But they obviously didn't give him reassurances because he gone. He out the door, so he knew he was on the way out, and he went for the W, and he got it. Jordan, legend or spiteful is Lovey Smith? I think a little bit of both because he's like, all right, you're going to fire me? You're not going to get the number one pick. Our guys are going to go out there and get the win. So go, you know, double bird on that one. So I freaking think that is amazing. And I love that. That is hilarious. 
Um, yeah, talk about we'll talk about a little bit in this upcoming around the NFL. Um, but boy, Houston did screw themselves real bad. Uh, Bryce Young is not a guarantee for them, and Chicago is just gonna put the Lovey Smith statue outside of Soldier Field as they should. Legend through and through. Jordan, here's what I want. I want, you know how they do the celebrities in the second day, there's rounds two and three to do the different draft picks. You'll have my old Miles Garrett out there for the Browns, whatever. <laughs> I want Lovey Smith to announce the Bears pick to start the second or third round. I oh, want please. him out there in full orange and navy. I don't even care if he's on another team. I don't care if he gets a head coaching job, an assistant job. I want the Bears to walk him out there day two. Hell, if they can kick Raj out the door day one, they should. And they should have Lovey Smith announce their pick, maybe three of them. I mean, I think it's awesome, and I think it's hilarious. And, again, we talked about this when they hired him to begin with. They gave him no assets whatsoever on that team. They said, oh, we like Davis Mills. Let's see if you know Johnny Longneck can win a few games. They had no one on that roster, and he did what he was expected to do, get the number one pick, essentially. Um, like David Culley, I thought the Texans competed especially down the stretch with nothing to play for. They were not an easy out for a lot of teams. Um, maybe it was everyone overlooked them, but they almost beat Dallas. They, they, they obviously beat the Colts. Or, you know. So I don't think Lovey got a fair shot, nor they ever considered giving him one, and I don't know how attractive that job is, knowing – that you treat people that way, but Hey, whatever, that's a different schoolyard topic. So I think he's a legend and I want the bears to trot him out there day two. That's my dream for lovey Smith. Next up, we're not going to do a deep dive on the draft Jordan, but you know, I get excited about mockery. Um, we're still seeing names coming out in the draft. So we're still in playoff mode here, but um, early, early return returns, you know, the top portion of the draft, you know, a couple of guys coming out of college, some guys going back to college. Um, Anyone, I will say this, who or what are you kind of curious about or excited about as we enter this draft process, as we, you know, light touch, we're going to learn a lot more as the coming weeks happen. I don't have any who right now, um, but the what for me uh, is the Chicago Bears at number one, because they have quite an offseason ahead. They have the most cap space of any NFL team. They have the number one pick, which means... There are going to be teams willing to trade up. Are we going to see something akin to 2016 when the Titans had the number one pick and then the Rams traded all the way up uh, to get Jared Goff? I think that could very well be the case. Um, You know, what kind of teams would be willing to trade all the way up to number one to get potentially Bryce Young? Um, I I don't know. I don't think the Bears are going to be the number one uh, pick. Uh, They're they're not going to be the first team on the clock when we come talk to uh, this draft in April. So uh, the Bears are going to control the offseason and this draft a lot. So uh, I'm going to keep an eye out for that because what Chicago does with that number one pick is going to be incredibly fascinating. And a lot of teams are going to be hitting up Chicago about potentially trading up to that number one pick. Yeah, they won't be picking number one, nor should they, because they need a lot of assets. They need to restock their defense, and they need to give Justin Fields help. They, they announced Justin Fields is their guy. I think he proved that. I don't think he's, you know, I'm not rushing, running out the door to pay him $300 million, but he definitely took a step in the right direction. And you have Will Anderson, you have Jalen Carter, the defensive lineman from Georgia, has announced he's coming out. And you have two teams within reach of getting defensive players between Houston and Indianapolis that are at two and four 
that if they're moving up to get a quarterback, then those defensive guys come down a little cheaper and you still get who you want with additional picks. And like you said, all the cap space. So interesting to see who moves up and who pays the price, even Houston. They're at two. They know Chicago's not picking one, but I wouldn't trust Chicago to keep that pick either. If I was Houston, I would move up. So um, that's an interesting one. I think for me, you know, Obviously, the quarterbacks will get all the run, and I'm just curious how these quarterbacks start grading out and falling. We'll talk a lot more about my boy, Will Levis from Mm -hmm. Kentucky, but that is one player that's interesting only because I think the size, strength, speed, all the measurable garbage that's not actually playing a game, he's going to fly up compared to C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young but he doesn't come in with the in-game credentials, right? So you're going to look at him. Some team is going to look at him and say, is that the next Josh Allen? Is this a giant human being that's got a little bit of inaccuracies and needs some cleanup, but I think in two to three years will develop into what Josh Allen is. I think that's going to be interesting. And also just in general, Stroud Young, it seems like it's a, you know, pick your poison, but there's a lot of teams that actually need quarterbacks at the top of this draft. They're going to be taking quarterbacks. What is the order of these quarterbacks and who long-term is going to be uh, in, in for in for regret city? Because that always inevitably happens, even when we're pretty sure about a lot of these guys. But Jordan, that's what I'm looking forward to in the draft. We'll talk a lot more about that during that filler time. But that is all I have for you this week. Yeah. Now we're talking playoffs, but that will do it for another episode of Two Builds in a Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. We're on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. You name it, we're on it. Two Builds in a Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, especially for playoff edition of Game Day Gift Reaction. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at GreybeardHan. Me, Jordan, at Oswiggy44. We will talk to you next week. The road to the Super Bowl begins on Sunday. See ya. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.